You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Saturday. It's 5 o'clock. I'm Andre Pru. And I'm Maroki Tong, and my voice is terrible. <laughs> Your voice is terrible, but I can I can let you know that I got hit with it a few weeks ago, but I don't think it was as bad as you. My uh, little girl, Spencer, she got her first cold, and uh, naturally it ripped through the house very easily, as we now know, after being around a pandemic for a few years is how highly transmissible respiratory viruses are. But uh, you seem to have collected your own germs. Yeah, and I actually think I have to blame some small children for that too. <laughs> and um, it hasn't. Uh, some uh, friend, a friend had a birthday party and um, visited him and his three small children. And I'm pretty sure one of them gave me something that has not managed to go away over the last while and but unfortunately it's radio and here's my voice and you guys get to enjoy a different timber of it today you know what you're giving it the college try and i I think if anything it's just something i really like um it's the silver lining to being in radio and having the head cold is like when you get that uh extra little rasp in your voice you know it's almost like we could maybe we should talk with the show in like a lower voice and it'll just give you a little bit more gravitas what do you think of that I think that would be the 10 p.m. show, Andre. <laughs> uh, is there, but really though, is there anything worse than a summer cold? And and yeah, it, you know, we could split hairs about like this, the specific illnesses that my daughter gave me and gave you, but like, let's just call it what it is, like the summer cold. Is there anything worse than that? I mean, I think the, like, what's annoying is that during the summertime, we have so many activities that we want to go out and enjoy. And when we're sick, that's the last thing we want to do. However, the one wondrous benefit is that, what if we're feeling chilly or if we're feeling fluish, we can at least lay out in the sun and allow it to bask us in its warmth and just kind of take the chill away. I mean, that's perfect. I think that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, it's the thing I love, I guess, once again, we're talking about silver linings here. The silver lining about being sick in the winter is you have an entire arsenal of home remedies that won't cure you, but will make you feel better in the moment, whether it's chicken soup, whether it's a hot toddy. And I just wanted to talk to you and unpack whether or not we could find the right home remedy to make you feel better. Uh, and and you talk about laying out in the sun, like that was exactly what I did while my nose was running with uh, whatever germ Spencer gave me. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, let's, let's unpack it. Like, it, I guess let's open up the question with, is a hot toddy in the summer weird? I don't think so, considering that some of us still drink hot coffees in the summer, some of us still drink hot teas in the summer or soups in the summer. So I think it would only be as weird as the person who's consuming it. If you enjoy having it, go for it. I still drink warm tea at night. Um, I haven't made myself a hot toddy yet. However, I definitely will drink my warm lemon and honey water. So I suppose it's on the same principles, right? (laughs) You just got to throw a shot of something in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know this what? is me trying to be good. Now, I was looking at your prep list for this, Andre, because I feel like <laughs> you were trying to come up with a whole list of home remedies for me. Well, um, b- before we move on to the, the rest of the list, I just want to tell you, I did a quick Google search, like, literally while we were talking about whether or not there's such a thing as a cold toddy. Um, bon Appetit has a recipe from their December 2018 issue for a cold toddy, and it's it looks like it's basically the same as a, a hot toddy from the summer, just chilled down and served on ice. I don't know if it would have necessarily the same effect. What do you think? Well, this is us probably getting into certain like personal opinions on how, what we think would treat a cold. Obviously, 
when our throat is sore, if we drink something warm, it could be soothing. But some people like drinking a cold thing because it could also numb the pain or the fieriness inside of your inside of your body. So again, I think it would be a bit of a personal preference. In in my moment, I yeah. would want to be drinking something warm and soothing as opposed to something cold that might just make me feel a little bit more chill than I already am. You know, I'm fully in agreement with uh, with you on that. So uh, I guess we are in agreement. It's two thumbs down to cold bodies. <laughs> No cold toddies in spite of the warm weather. All right. All right. So you, you did. Let, let's unpack the list that I put together here. And you can tell me if, if I, I selected anything special to make you feel better in this weather. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to poo-poo your super spicy noodle idea, Andre. The moment I saw that, my brain was thinking, how? That's just going to burn me even worse. Like my throat's already sore. It's already itchy. And now you want to set it on fire even more? Absolutely not. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But I think this is where we need to talk about like which specific symptoms because for me, I had um, congestion. I didn't have the sore throat, but my sinuses were just like, it was like a faucet. Um, There was no amount of Kleenex on this planet that I could have gone through that helped me alleviate the amount of congestion that I had for those few days, except like a super spicy, like rip your face off. Like if we're going Italian, like an Arrabbiata, uh, a nice Italian simple pasta with just a whole crap ton of, of pepper flakes in it. Or if we're going to uh. the, the Asian side, some Dan Dan noodles with enough uh, Szechuan peppercorns to, you know, numb your entire body. I think the fascinating one for me is I did see a lot of things around pasta and noodles in your suggestions. And for me, I generally will stay away from carbs during uh, times of sickness because I find it makes me even more mucusy than normal or oh, phlegmy. Yeah, it's almost like the sugars, like the additional carbs breaking down the sugars is going to coat my throat more, make it more phlegmy, make me more raspy or make me more mucusy. Whereas I prefer a lot more clear broths and something just a little bit more like clean to kind of wash it all out of my body. Yeah. And, and for me, like I try to make sure that I keep my en- energy up because one of the things that, that hits me when I get sick is just that really like lack of energy. But I, I think I need to be a little bit more mindful. I know one thing for me that's always hard when I'm sick is I tend to avoid dairy and that's everything like from milk. I sometimes take a bit of milk in my coffee or sorry, milk in my tea. I don't drink coffee, milk in my tea. Yeah. Um, I, I will avoid that while I'm sick or any, like any sort of uh, yogurt, ice cream, um, cheese, like any of that I find makes me extra mucusy. So I do my best to avoid those, but I've never noticed the effect that noodles would have on me. I wonder if it's just um, the fact that I am gluten intolerant as well, that it could aggravate because all those things are a bit inflammatory, right? Like dairy is a bit inflammatory to the body. And if my body's already sensitive to gluten, it could be inflammatory or it could be just me. It could be just me, right? Like, I, you know, I talk about avoiding noodles. However, my mom used to always make me congee when I was sick and congee is a carb. So maybe things with rice that isn't overly processed, my body my body likes or or at least feels comforted by it and maybe it's just a matter of what our bodies feel comforted by but i know the, <laughs> the one next one the you... next one i well i kind of i kind of want to say this because i feel <laughs> you know what i feel like this might be our compromise here this, this might be the one where you and i might come to a common ground on because you said you'd like clearer broths and pho has uh, a clear ish broth when it's made like really well and the noodles are not made with wheat flour they're made with rice so you're avoiding that that gluten effect. Like maybe we're going to come halfway on there. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> like I said, I I generally tend to just 
keep things very, very like simple. simple and very liquidy when I'm sick. Although the final one on your list that made me laugh was your just because turkey. Well, yeah, because like... I keep the chicken, I keep I keep the bones. And the thing is, I don't make a lot of stock in the summer, but I do like to make big stocks in the fall because like I love to use them to make soups. I love to use them to make sauces. So, uh, you know, we've talked about on past shows how I'm one of the crazy people that do just because turkey, which means cooking turkey in the off season. Like I, I like to consider making turkey like a spring training year round so that when the holidays roll around, I'm already ready to rock with it. But uh, keeping an extra turkey carcass in my freezer, um, you know what? I'll see what I've got in the freezer, Roki. It might be time for me to make you some clear turkey broth to help you feel better. See, that's the exact ticket. I was thinking about just you making a whole turkey and eating this turkey <laughs> while sick, being like, I don't know if this makes me feel better, yeah, cause I threw if this the... will actually heal me, but I feel so good eating this whole turkey. No, I threw. The, I guess I threw the note in the in our worksheet without giving you any context whatsoever. No, 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 no turkey to make you feel better. You do it with the remains. <laughs> this is why you save your, your, you save your turkey bones for when you're sick and you cook a turkey in the summer for when you have that summer cold. There you have it, folks. A mixture of uh, broths, uh, some noodles, if that's your jam. And we have decided to um, get rid of the cold toddy and just stick with hot toddies. And perhaps speaking <laughs> of hot toddies after the break, we're going to be chatting a little bit about, um, I guess this is something that has started back around April and May, but um, the smart surf certification or recertification for a lot of uh, professionals in the industry this spring. And People have had opinions about this one, including you, Andre. Oh, I definitely have some opinions as I recently just redid my smart serve. You'll have to hear what those are coming up after the break on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news today's talk. 640 Toronto. Well, on Tasting Together, we talk a lot about food and drink. But right now, Andre and I are going to dig into, you know, again, some of the stuff that's surrounding the world of hospitality. And it's interesting to me, Andre, because I actually never had to do smart serve in my life. I have mm -hmm. worked in hospitality. I've served in cafes, but I actually never really needed to serve alcohol. And it wasn't until this past spring where it became a necessity for me to acquire it. But I know it is something uh, something's come up recently where a lot of people who work in hospitality and have achieved their smart service certification have needed to get recertified. Yes. Yeah, so as early as January of this year, people have been talking about this news story. Um, so smart service is a certificate that everyone who is serving alcohol needs to have. And that means alcohol anywhere, whether you work in a bar, a nightclub, a winery, a brewery, you need to have your smart serve to do that. It's a course that you take online. Uh, I think the full price is closer to $50, but the recertification, they dropped the price to $25 to help people out. And anyone who took the course prior to 2018, um, their certificates expired. And I was one of those people. I work in the wine business. I have sold wine. I still sell wine on the side from time to time. So I needed to make sure that I have my smart serve. And I remember the first time I took it back in 2018, it was hard to take the program seriously. It's a lot of stuff that you would like come to expect. Like, don't serve alcohol to someone who's already drunk. What are some of the signs of when people are drunk? Let us teach you about the liability. Basically, you know, if you have somebody that leaves your house when they've had too much to drink, they're your responsibility until they sober up, things like that. But the course was a lot of like skits and videos, and it felt like it felt like watching training videos that you see, like not even in real life, but when you look on TV, that trope of like the really badly produced uh, employee instruction videos. That's what SmartSurf felt like when I took it back in 2018. 
I remember hearing jokes from my friends all throughout university saying that, you know, this is like if you want smart serve, it's more like you just pay the $36 or whatever amount that it was back then. And you essentially, they, they, you know, they would say to me, oh, yeah, it took half an hour. It only took an hour of my time. It's so easy. And the questions are so obvious, as you said, like, oh, someone's really drunk. Should you give them more alcohol? Of course not. Like very, very simple questions that more or less stated the obvious and you only got you only got the sort of certification essentially as a formality to serve alcohol yeah well i mean that being said having a course in place um to, i think where I'm, i guess i'm going to be kind of devil's advocate on myself on this as well because um i was annoyed at having to do the recertification but also i'm someone where it wasn't a financial burden to shell out the 25 bucks to do this again um and i was uh happy to see that there was a unit on cannabis as well um, because I know while cannabis is out there and certainly much more mainstream than it was even when when I was young and, and growing up or even frankly the first time I was doing smart serve but just to have a little bit more education for people who may not be familiar with intoxication from that but I still can't help but feel that this is a bit of a tax on the poor and a cash grab from the, the government you know like we had the Doug Ford government um, cancel our license plate stickers, put a couple hundred dollars back into our pocket. And it's almost like they're just trying to make up for lost revenue in another way by nickel and diming people. And largely the people who work in hospitality are not people who are making a lot of money. And yeah, I know for most people uh, within the range of this transmitter, $25 might not sound like a lot of money to some people, especially if you're living in a rural community or remote community. Um, it, it could be a bit of a financial burden to have to pay this money. It was interesting that you brought that one up, and I never really thought about it that way before. Um, I think it, it had been so normalized in society that if you wanted to serve alcohol, that you needed to attain the certification and you need to pay money for it. And I thought to myself, well, it's a reasonably nominal fee, not one that I always necessarily wanted to pay, especially when I was a university student, which is why it took me as long as it did for me to finally get it myself. Yeah. However, I understand that things have infrastructure. It's like when we, you know, we, we wanted to drive and you want to get your driver's license, you have to at least shell out that $30 to get that little booklet to read it, right? Yeah, if you I want guess. to do certain thing, basic things. So that was how I thought about it. When I did the smart serve, it was a lot more difficult than the way my friends described it. I remember noted notably one of the things that, you know, they make you do on the recertification is look at fake IDs and yep. you have to identify why the ID is fake. And there were so many little intricacies around IDs that I had never known before. And it would actually be so difficult. Like one of the ones they make you do is just looking at an ID in the dark and you turn on your little virtual flashlight. So now you have limited visibility. You're shining a flashlight on it. And I think that the, it was the smallest little detail. And it's not just something like, oh, they changed the birth date or it looks like it. It was something like along the lines of, um, I think the starting number of your driver's license is the starting number uh, um, of your name and that's something I wouldn't even know like I didn't even know that the starting number of my license or something is affiliated to my name yep. and if you change that it means that uh, the, your ID is fake the thing that I thought was sort of a, a, a little bit more complex but I mean a good bit of food for thought was talking about how people metabolize alcohol but then they have this whole unit where you have to guess how much a person weighs what their gender is from kind of a oh, crappy little stock one. photo and then you have to calculate what their blood alcohol content is based on how many drinks they've had in how much time. And then you have to use a green, yellow, and red, you know, stoplight system, which, you know, is one of these things where in practice, not the way I think anyone really does things, but it was good 
food for thought on it. But like doing the math about like trying to calculate someone's blood alcohol content was something that I, I don't know would have any real practical application. Yeah, it, it certainly is in one of those moments when you do these tests, you realize they're pushing you to the limits of what you would know yeah. about um, kind of serving alcohol to different uh, members of the public. And knowing that you'll probably only operate at 60, 70, 80% of that knowledge in the <laughs> environment live under stress or under on a busy night, but you hopefully are going to do your best. But one of the ones that you brought to my attention, yes. I didn't think about that when I, in the middle of the doing of the test, but when you brought it up to me, it, it made me reflect, and probably this is a very big missed mark on SmartServe's part, was you were saying that the unit and, and the certification talks a lot about how to aid someone after they may have looked like that they've been drugged. Yep. And your commentary on that is why do we have to wait until someone is in that circumstance as opposed to trying to mitigate that situation and, and provide a safe environment uh, from the get-go? You know, that really that, that unit actually really did bother me. I think there was a lot of really good uh, information and clarification on things like consent to make sure that people really understand that, you know, if you see something at the bar, if you see a woman or or a man who is unhappy about how someone has touched them or frankly, how someone has talked to them, that that is not okay. But a big part of that unit was talking about identifying the signs of if a patron has been drugged. And the thing that really, really bugged me and still made me feel like the SmartServe program is out of date and has missed the mark is there was nothing about watching for the behavior of someone who might put drugs in a drink or just signs to look for for that to help prevent the situation from coming. And it's one of these things where the the SmartServe program breaks so many things down to like really basics to the point where it feels almost childish. I don't know why they couldn't have taken that over the end zone to be like, this is what scumbag Steve looks like. And this is what you should do if you watch scumbag Steve put a date rape drug in someone's drink. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's the kind of trying to navigate that nuance of innocent until proven guilty. However, given that the SmartServe program really talks sort of about a server's almost fiduciary duty to ensure that someone like, let's say, you know, they talked about the liability. If someone is intoxicated and they leave your premises, it's not like you can't just put them in a car and say, I've done my job. You yeah. actually have to ensure all the way that they've gotten home, been safe, because if something happens to them, when they even uh, get home, you are held liable as a business. And if that's the case, then we as servers um, or anyone who works in hospitality then also has the obligation from the get-go with the moment anyone enters our doorstep to ensure that every patron inside the establishment is safe. And that includes from each other. Well, you know what? I hope that the next time our government gets lazy, decides it needs more money and wants to put another tax on the poor, that they, when they update SmartServe again, they do better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on another note, um, I know I've been traveling a lot this summer, as Andre spoke quite heavily about over the last couple of weeks. But Andre, you are going to be hitting the road yourself very shortly. I am. And you and I have been talking a little bit about what it's like to eat on the road and how things can get complicated when you're living out of a suitcase or a hotel room. So let's uh, let's see what we come up with in the next segment. Mm -hmm. So stick around. We're going to talk about instant eats after the break. This is Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back. I am Andre Pru. And I'm Maroki Tong. And I've been on the road for a long time in the last while. And <laughs> you know, Andre, you know that you and I are both foodies and we're always talking about what is the 
great new spots to be checking out in any region where we travel and what are the greatest eats that we should engage in. <laughs> but sometimes when you're working North America's largest tabletop gaming convention, um, the food you're eating is something you're popping in a microwave in your hotel room and can live outside of a fridge for many, many days. Oh my gosh, my heart completely breaks for you. I thought we were even just going <laughs> to unpack a little bit of like, I'm a big road tripper. And often when you're on the road and you're passing through small towns and tiny places, uh, you don't have a lot of options to eat something good or healthy or delicious. You just grab something that can sustain you while it's in the car. But Maroki, what did what were you eating that could survive outside a fridge for days and can be popped into a microwave? Instant ramen, Michelinas beef jerky um i was staying in a hotel room with several boys and there was something to watch them just open just like containers of just dry lettuce like the pre-washed lettuce and salads and not put it on anything not even put dressing and just eat it straight out of the container so they could have a bit of greens and vitamins over the weekend okay well at least at least your boys did that to be healthy because i mean that's the sort of thing where if i'm doing like a two or three day road trip i know that i gotta count on like a half day to recover because there is no way anything that at any point in its life once resembled a vegetable enters my body if i'm behind the wheel of the car <laughs> for many hours for a few days uh I definitely saw a lot of jars of pickles behind the various um, like <laughs> retailer spaces okay. as an attempt to have some sort of greens. And I would see fellows like pick them out and kind of suck off the juice before slapping it on their white bread sandwiches. Okay, so if you were if you were living off of instant ramen while you were there, did you at least go out of your way to find like some of the gourmet ones? Did you have like a certain preference to them? And you know, apologies to people in the car if I'm insulting your favorite brand, but or were you sticking with Mr. Noodles, which is, you know, I think it still is the cheapest brand of instant ramen you can get on the market. Uh, I definitely didn't have instant uh didn't have Mr. Noodles. Um I will fully admit that I allowed the boys to pick their ramens for the trip so i can't even remember the brands that were being placed in front of me okay. the one thing i'm happy is that i know we um poo-pooed on some spicy noodles but spicy instant ramen is definitely my jam and those were some of the containers that they brought on the trip but the one that actually astounded me was how and again this is my apologies to people who really enjoy stuff i could not get behind Michelina's instant meals. And I used to love that stuff, Andre. Nothing made me happier than when my mother allowed me to enjoy some Michelina's instant like mac and cheese or noodle meals back when I was a child. And I don't know that they changed the formulation or something, but I could not um, swallow half the stuff that came out of the microwave this weekend. Well, why don't you paint me a picture? What I, I've actually never had uh, a Michelina's instant, instant dinner. Um, and I, 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 I'll be honest, like every time I've seen the commercials while they did have catchy commercials in the nineties, um, I've never really been terribly curious about them either. Um, I know I usually save my snob hat for when we start talking about wine, but this could just be maybe a snob factor on my part, but describe to me the experience of opening a Michelina's instant dinner. Okay, so I, I believe the one that uh, one of the fellows got was a, like a fettuccine Alfredo one. And this is why I said, I don't know if it's the child in me. Like I grew up eating predominantly Chinese food for obvious reasons. <laughs> and the reason why I'm eating a Michelina's meal was so exciting was that here's a dish that my mother doesn't really know to prepare, which is one of the reasons why she brought Michelina's home. And for me, it was my first experience of North American culture or like quote unquote, like Italian cuisine or just cuisines that were not Chinese. 
And so I loved eating them, right? Digging into uh, a mac and cheese or a spaghetti bolognese, or in this case, an Alfredo. And uh, this is going to turn off a lot of people's appetites. And tasting together is supposed to be eating delicious food. <laughs> so I'm very sorry. We're going down the complete opposite direction here. But the food left the microwave. And in the heat of the moment, it smelled like what I thought it would be. Um, you know, some sort of fettuccine Alfredo-ish, creamy, cheesy, some kind of creamy note. I know, I know. And then I handed it off. And as the smell lingered, I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna kid around, Andre. It smelled like someone passed the gas. Oh, no, it that's was, not good. It was good. truly rancid. Yeah, it was almost like you know when they say cut the cheese, when they say the joke, cut the cheese. It felt like that. They cut the cheese. It was cheese, and then it, it was cheese in the wrong direction. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was a very vivid, vivid picture indeed. Okay, but then like let's let's travel back in time and let's talk to um to childhood Maroki and like what was the appeal? Like, do you remember what it was about these meals that like really appealed to you back when you were a child? Well, I, again, it was just my experience of what fettuccine Alfredo was, right? So I'm like, ooh, this is delicious pasta noodles, and it's creamy, and it's a bit salty, and it's delicious. Or in the, in the case of mac and cheese, here's pasta noodles with these really fun kind of macaronis, and it's cheese, and it's tasty, and it's delicious. And that was my memory of it. And I even actually said to the folks there, I actually remember really loving TV dinners. I loved when they had, like you know, a little appetizer, a little entree, and a little dessert component. You can kind of scrape the burnt edges off that the microwave has nuked a little bit too far. All warmed, warmed me, and I thought were quite tasty, even if it was incredibly processed. And that's why I said, I don't know if Michelinas has changed their formula formulas, or maybe now that I've had the opportunity to taste what Fredicini Alfredo is made at a lovely Italian restaurant, going back to the boxed version just doesn't cut it anymore. Interesting. Um, you know what? I still don't think that uh, I'm ready to take the dive and and actually try one, but maybe that's something for us to, to unpack at a later date. But I know one thing that interesting question that you bring up is like when you're traveling and you don't have access to a fridge and you're on the road for a while. And like you said, you're very busy working and you can only grab stuff on the go. Um, I think for the most part as a, as a given, it's really hard to eat healthy on the road especially if you're not in like a major urban center like you know it's kind of amazing when you walk through the path in downtown toronto how many options there are for salad places and soup places and just like lighter fare vegan places gluten-free places and i don't think if people in toronto just realize how spoiled they are because like when you pass through you know small town canada or small to small town american um, you know, your choice is often not even a chain burger place. Like it is literally a greasy spoon diner that might be cooking like a Kirkland brand burger patty on it and giving it to you on a on a cheap bun. Um, and and frankly, and frankly, to Gen Con's credit, I was at Gen Con in Indianapolis, which is North America's largest gaming convention. They actually had a huge food truck game outside. They actually had block parties and several food trucks from all over that we yeah. had the opportunity to take advantage of when the day was over. Yeah. Um, they actually had a hash hashtag Gen Con foodie that actually tickled my fancy a lot because that kind of in some ways subverted this whole idea that during a convention weekend, all you should be eating is unhealthy food. However, there were you know, healthy food trucks. Yeah, there, I mean, there were food trucks that were like poke bowls, but it, or even oh, just like, even it was not necessarily quote unquote healthy, it was gourmet food trucks. I saw one that was like a giant, um, a giant truck that was like almost like a truck as opposed to a food truck. And they had clear cut windows so you could see them do wood fired pizzas in the back. Oh my God. And that was all cool and exciting. However, when you're working at a convention, you're working a crowded space, 
We sent someone out for coffee, Andre. It took them an hour to get there and back just to exit the convention center. Every single Starbucks for three to four blocks around couldn't even serve coffee. The, uh, the lineups were so long. So when you have situations like that, you can't even go buy the food, even if there is good food lying about, which is why we needed all these kind of ready-to-go things to take with us to a convention of which I will say as we get older we need those vitamins <laughs> we need to keep our digestive systems healthy it's it's not a matter of just eating high sodium foods anymore we carried apples with us um I actually packed myself some really healthy protein bars with me I carry vitamin c and electrolyte packets so that I can shoot myself up with some vitamin c in my in water over the weekend like I said some of the other folks they put pickles on their on their sandwiches and they're just carrying the food with them into the convention center to assemble their little sandwiches throughout the day. Um, there were definitely boxes of cherry tomatoes around. So that's kind of the ways we try and get through the weekend. <laughs> um, if anyone has other suggestions, I'm open to hearing them as we prepare for the convention next year so Man. that we don't actually end up with some. I don't know what brand it is, so I don't even know how to throw it under the bus. But we had one boy. He's a bit younger. You know, he kind of is like, he very much made jokes. He's like, I'm a simple man. We went to a nice steakhouse on the last day. And he's like, I'm still here for the pasta and the pizza. But there was one instant mac and cheese that he had that he said was so truly terrible. He couldn't recommend that anyone else ate it throughout the weekend. So if anyone <laughs> has better options for us next year, I'm ready to hear them. This is such a departure from what we usually talk about. Like what you've just described, just eating plain apples, plain tomatoes feels post-apocalyptic in my mind it's just raising my anxiety imagining living like that oh my god there are people who only eat for sustenance and not for pleasure oh my god i'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you're back Mroki. but I, I do know that if i ever end up on a desert island or completely in the middle of nowhere i really hope that you'll be there with me because it sounds like you'll be the only thing that would help me survive <laughs> we'll eat a little bit more than just some uh, pre-washed lettuce and straight out of the container. All right. So you, wrapping up your, your travel experience, though, you had some interesting experiences with a new uh, spirit that we're going to unpack with uh, Global Newsroom's Danny Longo coming up after the break. This is 640 Toronto. We're tasting together. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back. I am Andre Peru. I'm joined by Maroki Tong, and it's the time of the show where we are joined by Danny Longo of the Global Newsroom. How's it going, Danny? Very good. How are you guys? I uh, am recovering from some illness, and <laughs> this segment probably is like a really good conversation piece, given that the most of Tasting Together, we've been talking about all the the foods that we eat that may not be necessarily good for us, but we may grab the pinch, <laughs> how to recover from summer maladies. And now we are trying to heal our stomachs. <laughs> well, I know like when it was colder, Maroki, we talked about some of the like the home remedies and we talked a bit about some of the, the summer remedies. It sucks when you're sick in the summer, but you know, I think when you're reaching for the, the the spirits, we don't spend enough time talking about spirits on this show, but sometimes that can go a long way to maybe not curing you, but helping you feel a bit better. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking about digestives um, to our audiences listening on your radios or online <laughs> if we weren't hinting at it enough. But I guess this is one of those ones that I've thought about it for a little while now and one of the things, you know, I enjoy sipping after a meal these days is a whiskey or a port. And I was thinking to myself, digestifs, do they actually help digest um, 
as the name claims. And it kind of led me down a bit of a thought because I, as all of you know, I was recently in Chicago. And one of the things that they served us at a restaurant was Malort when we were asking for a digestif. And it truly did not taste good. Apparently, it's a Chicago staple. Like, it's well known that you have to drink Malort in Chicago. Okay. And one, yeah, apparently, and, is, and it's like, it's a rite of passage. You're personally supposed to suffer while drinking it. And if you drink it, you're like, now an honorary Chicagoan or something. So what is Malort? Like getting screeched in. Yeah, getting screeched in on the East Coast. Yes. <laughs> what, yeah, is, what is Malort? Yeah. Um, a lot of fortified alcohol. So it's definitely predominantly spirits-based. But the major flavoring component is wormwood. And it basically tastes like you're just drinking pure bitterness. Um, I think some people have um, uh, described it akin to, I guess, sucking on a grapefruit followed by a shot of gasoline was one of the quotes I've read. It's incredibly bitter. I know um, Eric's friend who drank it said it was sort of like chewing on tree bark. Very, very bitter. And then wormwood, however, is known um, to allegedly kill stomach parasites. So if you're talking about <laughs> digestifs, I suppose if you're drinking something like that back in the day and, you know, a long time ago, we couldn't really have the food safety measures we had now. I suppose drinking something with a lot of wormwood in it would hopefully keep your stomach safe. Is it wormwood not what uh, absinthe is also Yes, I was just going to say that, Danny. I, I, I was under the impression that, that wormwood is, is one of the reasons why absinthe has its reputation of, of making people go mad and the crazy hallucinations. Did, did, did you hallucinate in Chicago, Maroki? There was no hallucination in Chicago. So maybe they uh, kept it in a, I don't know, reasonable dosage, so to say. <laughs> You know, the way you describe that thing, it's always amusing to me. Like, there's certain beverages that are definitely acquired tastes. I completely get that. You know, something like black licorice is is an acquired mm -hmm. taste. So, ouzo, some people would love that. Some people would hate that. Um, I, I think all three of us are of the generation where Jaeger bombs were in fashion when we were doing our post-secondary education. Is that it safe is. to say? It is. We're okay. You it is. It. Yeah. it is. And I actually swore off Jaeger. There we after, go. Um, that was. I was. Yeah, I was hoping for the visceral. Time. I was hoping for the visceral response. I still actually enjoy Jaegermeister uh, on ice. I never understood why you want yes. to shoot it back because you know it's herby. It's got a little bit of the the bitterness, but a little bit of sweetness to it as well. I mean, I don't think I'd want to sit and drink an entire bottle of it, but uh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> what you just described there with Malort. That doesn't sound like something that's even a divisive flavor. Like, that literally just sounds like pure punishment. Well, it's interesting because, so I actually did, uh, you know, um, I didn't get a chance to finish my story there, but I did get to finish, uh, get back into Jägermeister when I finished my MBA in Germany. And because I was there and they were serving it, and I meant, okay, I guess I'm in the country of origin, time to drink some Jäger again. But I had a, the opportunity to try a lot of other digestives when I was there. And Andre, Danny, they truly all were pretty darn awful. Um, I, I studied in a city called Osnabrück, and they had a specific digestif that apparently, allegedly, the recipe they've had for hundreds of years um, as their special local brew to help with digestion. And it seemed like most of the digestifs in Germany that I tried are meant to help with digestion, which means that they are concocted with a lot of different herbs steeped heavily in spirits that you're meant to sip after a meal 
extremely bitter, um, hardly a pleasant flavor, but I guess like they're meant to be medicinal. They're meant to literally stimulate the digestive system, either the enzymes, um, they claim the herbs to help with digestion. So it was one of those, the reason why I've been thinking about digestives a little more is because there's obviously a lot of, a lot of other digestives out there that I think we associate with, and they're quite sweet. If you think about certain sherries or ports, um, even uh, Cointreau, I find that they lean a little bit on the sweet spectrum. And for me, that's more of a dessert, but not necessarily something that would help with digesting. And I think it's just interesting how we've learned, like where, I guess the, how, where digestives are interpreted, like how they're interpreted around different parts around the world, or even how we as a society begin to interpret it these days. Yeah, because I, I think the concept of the digestif or the apéro, like that's something that's very common when you visit France. Is they usually kick off the meal with a little bit of something, something uh, before getting into the wine. But uh, it just, I think it's something that's not really a part of the North American culture unless you're coming from a, a very European background. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess in some ways it's like how we sip tea after a meal, but in, now we've infused it with alcohol. But Danny, in the land of digestives, is that something you generally partake in after a meal? I don't usually anymore, but growing up, like at family, um, big family events, Christmas, Easter, um, things like that, there was always like a big meal. And then it would every time be followed by, you know, let's bring out the brandy or the cognac or the port or you know sometimes sherry or um, we have a list here like any <laughs> am amaretto like all of these things i'm like i know what these things are drambouille grand marnier because of like the after dinner stuff so um zambuca uzo yeah that stuff would always come out oh and danny it sounds like your family it was necessarily to help digestion or it was just to have a good time <laughs> your family <laughs> gatherings sound like they were more fun than more fun than mine that's for sure they were a fun affair for sure <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely more that like I'm only really starting to get into them myself. Um, I mostly am a scotch and whiskey drinker. And uh, they always say, and, uh, I claim to not be a doctor and I'm not giving medical advice. But the, the old wives tale, I guess, so to say, is having a bit of whiskey is supposed to stimulate enzymes, whatever it means. And I remember having a fellow once upon a time, an old boss of mine, telling me about drinking whiskey because it will smooth the digestion digestive system in the bowels and to this day i can tell you that i don't think that's true you know i i doing a quick google search as we were heading into this conversation it doesn't look like there is a lot of evidence to say that a digestive actually helps stimulate any sort of digestion but i mean there is i think a lot to say for the the psychosomatic effect but also you know there are good and bad traditions and i think this is a good tradition if you're looking for just something nice to help finish the meal, especially um, I, I hate to to wish colder weather upon us. But, you know, when you're when you're having a big meal on a cold day, uh, there are very few things that help cap it off quite like having just a nice drink to help warm the tummy after a big meal, you know? You know, if oh, I really yeah. think about it, yeah, and and maybe as I think about this, I think about how we make a lot of tinctures back in the day, right? Like, folks back in the day when they did make tinctures, essentially what they're doing is they suspend their medicinal herbs, usually in some sort of alcohol or oil. And so I can totally see that they would 
distill um, digestive herbs or medicinal herbs to help the body in alcohol and maybe it would be consumed that way and then just over the years you diluted it with a bit more alcohol so that it was a bit more palatable going <laughs> down so there's probably some sort of um reasoning behind why people sip digestives the way they are and why they're as bitter as they are because they probably was they probably were a medicinal tincture once upon a time you know i might need to talk to my father-in-law about this our polish friend merrick who's joined the program and ask why the polish and the ukrainians and the russians for that matter didn't put any herbs in it. They just decided to drink it straight and call it vodka. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have uh, created far more questions than answers with this particular final segments around digestives. I think something which definitely probably just goes to show that we all need help learning a little bit more about it. Something to revisit at a later date. Um, so that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to us. Stay tuned next week. We are going to be revisiting some Nova Scotia wines when... The three of us are going to dive into Tidal Bay. That'll definitely be an interesting segment to uh, tune in for. So join us from the comfort of your homes next week as we journey to the East Coast. This is Tasting Together on 640 Toronto.